Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly award-winning podcast where we talk about the Bible and we even make a playlist. I'm Matt Cable, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Ferris, the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder. Zach, it pays to be in The Vinyl Preacher podcast. The pastor emeritus uh, here at St. Mark's literally was doing pays. Uh, <laughs> uh, literally, I mean, not with cash, but but in this way, uh, he was doing some cleaning, uh, cleaning out of his, his house and uh, found a super cool, this is unrelated, super cool poster from, he says, 1979 of a young Jim Wallace uh, being hosted at St. Mark's, which is pretty cool. I was like, oh, it's like a vintage poster. I'm going to frame this and put it on the wall. Uh, but then uh, he also found a box of vinyl records. Uh, and so he said, these are for the vital preacher. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they're all like uh, gospel uh, stuff. I'm going to go through and we'll see. Uh, but hey, people just people just give us vinyl records. It'd be cool if R.E.M. would send us a vinyl record. If, oh, that'd uh, be cool. You know, what if we had a backyard but, barbecue? <laughs> it might happen. I hear, it might I hear happen. it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's really yeah. close to <laughs> The reality. You have such a good relationship with your predecessor. That's that's fun. Or it seems to yeah. be a good relationship from the outside. Especially for someone who was there forever and is a part of a mural at one of your favorite restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, it's it's definitely... I mean, full disclosure, like, it's challenging to follow somebody that uh, was in a place for a long time. I mean, that is real for a lot of people. That is the only person uh, that they remember, the person that baptized them, married them, buried their grandmother. I mean, this is this that's just a real thing. Uh, but it has worked, uh, I think, for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that I just... I feel like you're going to deal with something wherever you are. <laughs> You're going to deal with something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's okay. So we'll, we'll deal with that. Uh, but then the other reason that it's really worked is that uh, Brian knows that he is retired. And so he likes to travel. He likes to be retired. Uh, he really doesn't like metal and stuff more. He just like is supportive behind the scenes. And I said, well, we're going to try this. And he says, okay, try it. Like, okay, go for it. You know, like he's just is positive uh, all the time. And, uh, shows up when I invite him to do stuff and brings me boxes of vinyl records. So that's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's not like there aren't challenges, but overall, yeah, it's good. It's good. Nice. But not true everywhere, huh? Not true everywhere. Uh, it's not, not not my case here. Yeah, especially my, uh, my direct predecessor is, is in California, but uh, my the predecessor before that, who was instrumental in... in predecessors two of them you know are around and super supportive and uh i do uh lunch at one of the nepalese places about every six months or so with uh with one of the folks so uh grateful for folks who are good and graceful at uh clearing the way there which is a big change from where i found myself like in i feel like one of the themes in uh first call theological education is uh whoever your predecessor was was awful and that was one of the major challenges. Like, not that they were meddling necessarily, but that, like, they were an idiot and didn't know what they were doing, and now I've got to fix everything. Yeah, and I'm going to try to not not get fired. Uh, <laughs> but I hear people talk like that, and I just... I mean, yeah, like, there's always stuff that you're going to disagree with your predecessor on, but, like, man, I know the person that follows me is going to hate me. Because <laughs> right? oh, yeah. they're going to be like, oh, I can't believe I did it this way. Like, what an idiot. <laughs> But you know, like, 
some sometimes it's that I'm genuinely bad at some things, and other times it's like, well, I made some choices because I had like limited resources and I make choices. But the person that followed me isn't going to know any of that, and they're just going to be like, yeah, he's an idiot, he's a jerk. I can't believe he did all this stuff, right? Like, <laughs> yep. Matt, uh, I'm tired. Okay. I am. Uh, we are. Two, we're in the third week of school somehow, and on the heels of my like month of no child care, uh, I I would really like days off, but they're not coming. Uh, they're not coming because they don't come this time of year. Uh, we had a great had a great uh, Saturday this past Saturday. Uh, Colorado lacks rivals, natural rivals. We have an in-state-ish rivalry with Colorado State, but they're Typically, they play in a lesser conference than we do. Uh, and so it's a real fun story that in 1982, uh, Coach uh, Bill McCartney, who uh, you may remember from, uh, oh gosh, what was the father thing, that the evangelical like Promise Keepers. Uh, oh, yeah. He founded Promise Keepers as well and left football to pursue Promise Keeping. Just decided, even though Nebraska had beaten our brains in for like 50 years, decided that Nebraska was now our rival. Uh, and the crazy thing is that it worked. Uh, <laughs> they started to beat them, and we actually won a national championship before Nebraska did, before Tom Osborne did at Nebraska. Uh, and sadly, in 2010, and 2011 was my first year, so I missed all of this. Uh, Colorado went to the Pac-12, and uh, Nebraska went to the Big Ten. They both left. We're not in the same conference anymore, so we don't play each other. Uh, so the past two years, we've played each other again. And number one, Matt, I sold so many parking spaces to people from Nebraska. Uh, it was the biggest uh, biggest day of parking. We raised prices just for them. They tried to pay in uh, in, in corn quarters, but I made them use U.S. US dollars. Uh, but more than anything, that our colleague, Adam White, campus pastor at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, uh, I went to the game last year down there, and after the game, because I won on Sunday morning, I received the Stole of Destiny. Uh, which is a stole that Adam's students created on one side red and white, the other side black and gold, uh, and that the winner of the game, their campus pastor, gets to keep and wear the Soul of Destiny. Evidently, I left, we left the Soul of Destiny in Lincoln for safekeeping. The Soul of Destiny did not make the trip out here, man, but that doesn't matter uh, because we won anyway in miraculous fashion. It really uh, was incredible. I couldn't believe it. Uh, the, the buffs were awful in the first half and had a miraculous comeback and won in overtime. Uh, and the stadium holds almost 60,000 people, and I swear 40,000 of the people were from Nebraska and wearing red. Not even, that's not hyperbole, that's just facts. So that was fun. But more than anything, Matt, I'm I know I'm tired because I'm so tired. I've been participating in internet conversations on social media, uh, which is something I typically refrain from because I don't think it helps anybody or anything. Sure. Uh, so one of my hot takes today, Matt, I commented on a blog post on someone reposting a blog post, uh, which I try not to do. But I mean, I had to. It was about vocation, right? Our colleague Bree Roberts down in New Mexico posted this thing for the Young Clergy Women Project, uh, which is a cool, cool project. And she block quoted, I'm a pastor. I cannot not be a pastor. I can be nothing else yeah. until a community of faith calls me. I saw that this morning. I, I couldn't resist. Been... I couldn't resist. And I felt What'd like I had say? a good enough relationship with Bree that I wanted to say, right, like, I'm not here to defend the institutional church and the policy of the church, mm. and I'm not here. I didn't—I think I did it pretty okay. Um, but 
I'm not defending the institutional church, and I don't want to deny any of the real like lived experience of getting squashed by the institutional church, but that vocational theology that arrives at such a point of clarity, I don't think is particularly helpful. That I don't think I'm ever going to have that much clarity. Uh, my my question every day is much more like, how am I going to be a pastor today? Uh, that's that's my daily question. Not I'm a pastor here. I do it. Um, but that what I hope we can get to is a place of understanding vocation. Our vocation is not the. I mean, I think this is pretty common stuff. Not the jobs we do, but that the jobs we do with a pastor is a way we express a vocational identity um, that is given to us by God that is much more central than that. Because that's truer, I think, to reality. Lots and lots of folks don't get the sort of vocational fulfillment that we romanticize with pastors. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's for just as unjust sorts of reasons. Um, but we need a vocational theology that can handle that. Yeah, no, I thought it was a bit, um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of unfair because it, it feels like we should have her on to have an actual conversation rather than <laughs> like, we have a bully puppet, so we're just going to state our opinions on our podcast. Uh, but I, yeah, like... Um, well, and there's, there's so much more to the article, too. You should read the article. It's not really about that, right? But it was more, what caught me was the way that it got blocked, like... I think it turned into more of a conversation between Bree and I, because the point I was making was I think it's pretty subtle and not essential to the article. Yeah, because I would fight pretty hard for people to have like access to an institution. The part that would scare me is like an identity of your like to tie your own identity so closely to like the thing that you do in the world. It strikes me as pretty dangerous. Like, what do you do when you retire? Are you still, like, you just, you can't not be a pat? Like, what? Like, no, you have to be able to, like, let those things, you have to be able to let it go. Um, and I feel like pastor is, it's different than, like, your gender identity or your, mm-hmm. like, because it does depend on somebody else saying yes. It isn't mm-hmm. just you that has to say, you know? Like, I, yeah. and I don't know how that, and that other person might be wrong, but, like, the the thing isn't complete until mm-hmm. the, the other party says, I mean, that's how I understood it all the way through seminary. I never understood that, like, well, it's a done deal because I feel it. Like, no, like, that that's, like, I actually have to have the the response. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's not a, I get, I get the justice issue, like, for access and the way that our system is broken. Yeah, that vocational identity piece I just found a little bit scary because your job should not be all that you are. But maybe I just think about it differently, too. I mean, people would talk about whether you're like ontologically changed when you're ordained, right? The things like that. And I just find that to be such like, what? <laughs> it's my job. Maybe I'll go be a financial gifts officer next. I don't know. Like just shout out Tim Brown. <laughs> or I'll just do full-time podcasting and DJing. Mm-hmm. So it'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm a campus pastor. And if that was so, if that was so central to my identity, uh, you know, it's not crazy to assume that, I don't, I don't know, right? Resources could go away that could make my situation be where I could not be a campus pastor. Um, so, right, like, as a Methodist or Presbyterian who don't really have campus pastors the way we do, are there a bunch of Methodists and Presbyterians running around who will forever be unquenched? Yeah, I mean, I guess at heart, 
I mean, like, so there's the theological argument, but I guess, I guess I worry about self-care. I think that's where yeah. I'd come down around it. Like, if your identity is so tied up in your, like, what we're calling vocation in this case, I just, I worry about self-care then. Dear listener, if Matt is giving you advice about self-care, look out. You know, right? we got real issues. Right? <laughs> I think you're working harder than me these days, though, Zach. I think you're... Every time, I'm just on Facebook. Oh, man, another event. This guy oh just gosh. events every day. I know. Beer tasting coming up. Get your tickets online at lutherbus.org. Um, I want to go. Matt, but we have an important thing uh, we need to get to the bottom of, and I need to marshal all of the resources of the vinyl preaching community, the vinyl people. Uh, I think, though, you are our best insight. I was listening to a podcast today, not yeah. called The Vinyl Preacher. I was listening to The Watch, uh, and they were reviewing... It's from The Ringer. They were reviewing The Righteous Gemstones, which continues to be... I've only seen the first two episodes, so don't... I'm not going to... I'm not caught up. I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Um, But but Jason Gallagher was on to talk about it. uh, And I agree with him because what makes this show so good is that they are just nailing like megachurch, evangelical church stuff. And not in like big stripes, but like little stripes, <laughs> like little in little ways. <laughs> Spoilers, Matt, nothing big, nothing plot. Uh, but uh, Kelvin Jimstone, who is the baby of the, of the Jimstone family, is the designated youth minister. And uh, he's trying to save a teenage daughter of, uh, of the biggest donor of the church. Right? And it's his like big mission chance to prove himself. And so he invites her to come to the next youth group meeting, which is at like the indoor trampoline park. Uh, and I'm trying to pull up like the shirts. Um, uh, he, they, they show up and he's wearing sweatpants and this bright green t-shirt that says like faith focus or something like that. That's just like, they just nailed, right? Like nailed the t-shirt, right? Like it's just the, all these subtle things that are just absolutely perfect. Uh, uh, so Jason Gallagher was on to talk about it, and uh, Chris Ryan. Uh, they they got they brought Jason Gallagher on because he's from Texas and he uh, went to Oklahoma Baptist and has like an evangelical kind of background. And they asked him what what do your religious friends think about the show? And he said, Well, you know, I've got friends who are pastors. I mean, one of my best friends is a is a Lutheran pastor, and he loves the show. Um, so Matt. We are Lutheran pastors. Yeah. You're a Lutheran pastor in Los Angeles, which is where the Ringers is headquartered and where Jason Gallagher lives. Uh, We need to figure out who of your our colleagues really is friends with Jason Gallagher of the Ringer. Emmy winning. Because we could talk. We could talk. Uh, new media award winner to a new media award winner. He's probably on Facebook, right? I've already done this search. Oh, you've already you already did it. Yeah, he's on Facebook, and you can search his friends list. And I didn't see anybody. I didn't have didn't, any mutual friends, see. and there were thousands. So it took long. Part of being a campus pastor is being a professional stalker. PI. Just made me think because I went. Uh, I tried to tag Dan Marley yesterday for his birthday, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was like a real Facebook profile Ooh. came up, and I was like, oh. Oh, he's like a real person. He like, whoa. Yeah. So, but you couldn't find anybody, huh? Couldn't find anybody who I knew in real life. So, I mean, I thought, hmm. I mean, Caleb might be in that world, right? <laughs> Not in the sports world, but Caleb, <laughs> Caleb Craner, friend of the pod, runs in in some interesting circles. I'm going to have to think about that. 
Good, 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 good. Jason Gallagher. What does he do? He just he he's works a for senior editor, but he produces and directs uh, NBA Desktop. Won an Emmy mm-hmm. for that. Okay. Well, we'll keep, I'll investigate. Fantastic, Matt. Thanks. We look forward to hearing back here on the podcast. Should we talk about the text on this podcast? I don't know if that's a... I suppose. The award should have been clear about what part of the podcast was award-winning, because then we could focus. What do you got for the first reading for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, Sunday, September 22nd, 2019? Oh, we're still in Jeremiah. And guess what? Jeremiah finally is bringing some... Never mind. He's still doom. Just doom. All doom. Uh, My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark, the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is Is her king not in her? The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. Uh, the good news delivered to you by the prophet Jeremiah. Well done, Jeremiah. I mean, source of the word Jeremiah, so I guess we should assume that he's just going to be ranting a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, it's mostly doom. I mean, all the prophets are prophets of doom. So the, uh, like your Ralph Klein would say, um, they're all prophets of doom. There's always just like a slim little bit of hope that comes in the end, typically added uh, later on, we think. Um, so, I mean, I think it, I don't know, I probably would not make this my uh, essential, uh, the, the, the primary text that I'd be preaching on because it lacks, you know, good news. Uh, if there's good news in it, it is that it is uh, a voice of uh, of sadness and mourning that is uh, not always heard in the church. Not always heard, you know, even with the righteous gemstones in particular. Uh, typically, try to steer folks out of the out of out of pain and sorrow. But there it is. That's real. It affirms it. It's real. Well, good luck. If y'all, uh, dear listeners, have been preaching a sermon series on Jeremiah, let us know. We want to hear what you did. And we want to know how your exit from the congregation has gone. <laughs> Indeed. Or I'd like to see your sermon text along with uh, worship attendance trends. Could be good. I want to know. If you if you have figured it out, uh, go for it. It could be a way to reverse your, your trend. I mean, maybe that's why... We're just not preaching enough from Jeremiah is why that uh, that that graph is going around about you'll see worship trends declining to zero in the next generation. It's because we're not preaching enough Jeremiah. Nope, not doing it, but maybe maybe the vinyl preachers are. It does have nice imagery, right? The summer is over. <laughs> summer has ended. Harvest has passed. And you can sing Balm and Gilead. So even though it's directly against what this text is saying. Saying yeah, there is no balm in Gilead. Does balm in Gilead show up elsewhere in Scripture, or is it just here? It only shows up three times. Um, once in Genesis and twice in Jeremiah. Huh. Is it a thing? Like, what is that like? Uh, well, you've come to the right place. The vinyl preacher asked that question, Matt. Uh, the balm of Gilead is a resin that comes from trees in the area that had healing properties. Uh, the first time it's used is in Genesis uh, when Joseph uh, and his brothers take him down the river uh, to sell him. They, uh, a bomb, the balm of Gilead is involved in the transaction. What? Yeah. So that's one usage. Incredible. 
um, I don't know what the other Jeremiah, I don't have the other Jeremiah one right off the top of my top of the head, but a real thing. Uh, it's the balm of Mecca uh, if you're in more Muslim or Arabic parts of the ancient Near East. Interesting. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. So that's Jeremiah. That's Jeremiah. What do you got, man? I got Amos. Got some Amos over here. I think we saw Amos earlier in the year, maybe. Famous Amos. But he says, uh, so this is the complimentary text, so it's going to be connected to the gospel. Uh, And it says, hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring ruin, bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? Not supposed to do those things, Uh, but that's what they're waiting for. We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances, false balances by buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Here at the Vinyl Preacher, our news is false and balanced. <laughs> false and balanced. So we've got uh, some dishonest business practices that have an impact uh, on the poorest in the community. Cool. <laughs> yep. So it's going to connect to the gospel. So I think we'll talk more about that in the gospel. But it's an interesting interesting way to set it up, interesting context to give it. Yeah, I think Jeremiah d- plays well with the gospel uh, this week. And what a gospel it is. Should mm. we talk about it? Uh, yeah. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so a uh, little bit of context. We've been working our way through. Uh, through Luke, this middle section of Luke 14 and 15 this this fall, uh, directly before this story, you may recall last week we got the parable parables of the lost sheep and then the lost coin uh, was in the lectionary. Uh, now in Luke, that continues into the parable of the lost son or commonly called the prodigal son. And then it directly goes into this text from Luke 16. And it's relevant because one of the same, we're still in the same kind of context. And then uh, one of the same words shows up, this word squandering. It's the same word that's used for uh, that son squandering uh, his father's wealth and dissolute living. It's an interesting connection. So then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whomever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. 
If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. We're excited here at St. Mark's Super Church to kick off our stewardship campaign this fall. Uh, there are a number of ways which you can give to the church, uh, including PayPal Giving Fund, Venmo, and Tithely. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> theme, theme for this year, dishonest wealth. Dishonest wealth. Let's... Matt, I think maybe I could make that uh, a theme for, the, for my board of directors, that this year... Our goal is to, to deal shrewdly with dishonest wealth. <laughs> uh, it's so good because it's it like uh, makes you uncomfortable, needles you a little bit. You're shocked, you're surprised, and it's supposed to do that. It's supposed to do that to your listeners. Uh, so I think a couple things, a couple things here, and I, and I don't want to rob it of any of the wooliness and weirdness and uh, the way it agitates us. Uh, but a couple, couple takes. So one is that uh, I'd say we're still you might read this as still being in um, in the context that we were in in chapter 15, where Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees and scribes are grumbling about it, saying, why is he eating with them? And so Jesus tells several parables, right? He tells the story of this lost sheep. And then there's rejoicing over the lost sheep being found. He tells the story of a lost coin. There's rejoicing over the lost coin being found. He tells the story of two lost sons, lost in different ways. Uh, And there's rejoicing over the one and a big old question mark around the other. And so here again uh, is a story of somebody that we'd be like, what? Like we should write off. And yet the person in the story, uh, there's a lot we could do with it. But in one way, that person is trying to be restored to the community, right? Restored to trying to build some relationships. Now is doing it out of his own self-interest. He wants to be cared for. Uh, but maybe part of what Jesus is getting at, at is, yeah. <laughs> Does it matter if he's doing it out of his own self-interest because he wants to be cared for? The point is, uh, this person's being restored to the community. This person is being is um, restoring these relationships, uh, is making friends. Uh, and I don't care why you do it. <laughs> I just want you here at the table, right? Um I don't know. In that context, it, it gives it an inter- interesting spin, I think. There's uh, there's some interesting stuff here about what exactly the manager is doing, uh, whether he is changing the amounts and cheating his uh, cheating the rich man for whom he is working, or uh, there's some theories here about that what's going on is there was already a cut that he had added, <laughs> and so he'd increased and added some interest, and so what he was really doing was um, cutting the cut that he would get. Uh, his master is still get the same amount, but he's cutting his own cut of the, um, <laughs> cutting his cut out of the deal. Um, so there's some interesting things going on there. It's a, we got to figure out what exactly he's doing. Uh, but I think whatever he's doing, the main uh, thrust of the story, uh, I don't know. I see as that restoration uh, to community again, which is what we've been talking about last week too. Restoration to wholeness. What do you got? What do you see in this text, Zach? I I see a lot of what I preached two weeks ago. I am struck by uh, verse 9 there. I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the uh, eternal homes. Uh, 
I'm interested in particular, I've got some translation beef this week, uh, so that when it is gone uh, is more literally uh, when it fails. Uh, that's how that word is used every other time it's used, which are, it's only three times, and it's all in Luke. Uh, and because I think that, that, you know, sometimes mo- <laughs> you spend money and money is gone, right? But that, I don't think it gets to the essence of what the what we're, what's trying to be communicated here, which is that your dishonest, dishonest wealth will fail. Uh, and to lift that up, the other two times that fail gets used, it's when Peter, when uh, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Uh, Jesus says to him, I've prayed for you that your own faith may not fail and that you would be strengthened. Uh, and then Peter says, well, you know, I'm ready to go to, uh, to prison. I'm ready to die. And Jesus, I'll tell you, uh, you'll deny me three times today. Uh, and then later, it's when Jesus dies and the sun uh, in the RSV is obscured. The sun fails uh, is literally what it means. And so I preached... Uh, so, I'm reminded of what I preached a couple days ago, uh, which was about how uh, Jesus kind of attacks like family, the idea of family and the family system, Mm -hmm. uh, because he's attacking our misplaced faith in it, that it might be the eternal thing. Uh, And here, I think it's a similar, uh, a similar condemnation within the similar good news, which is to say dishonest wealth, wealth, period, mammon, manna. Uh, very Erland, a lot of Erlander directions you could go here. Uh, it will fail you, right? Just like the manna uh, turns rotten in the morning. Uh, it will fail you. So do not uh, presume congregation with a significant endowment that you will last forever. Uh, all this stuff, uh, right? And this is where you can start to echo in the Jeremiah. It'll all fail. Uh, and so the good news then uh, becomes that those failures are not the failures of God. And the, the, the places where, where wealth, where manna, mammon fails us, where when the sun fails, hey, that's good news for climate change. Um, those are the places God promises to be and promises uh, to meet us. Yeah, and we're going to get uh, the next story in Luke and actually the next story in the lectionary that we'll get next week is this parable of the the rich man and and Lazarus are right? in this great, great chasm between them. And there again, the riches failed uh, that man, right? He ends up in the wrong place uh, because he did not attend to his relationships with his neighbor. Instead, he relied on his wealth, which failed, uh, which is going to happen. You should just expect it. <laughs> the uh, verses 14 and 15, which we don't get to, uh, tell us that the Pharisees were lovers of wealth, lovers of mammon. Yeah, Luke has got a bone to pick with the Pharisees. It's... Yeah, not he doesn't seem super chill with them. <laughs> no. It's a fun story. I think this parable's fun. I think there are a ton of entry points. It's really good at, at one of the the one of the things people say about parables is that they are things that we participate in, uh, rather than stories to be like explained. I think that's this parable is really good at that. Um I think it makes it a little tricky to squeeze the good news out of it because it is such a slippery, woolly, as you said, uh, uh, teaching or story, but super engaging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of uh, when we had Sarah for Iowa on the podcast and she was talking about biblical storytelling, right, and embodying the story. And this is a great text that you could use to do something like that, like really bring out. uh, This is not a text to read uh, in a monotone. (laughs) 
But it's actually have some fun with. I mean, can you imagine like how would you cast? Who would you cast for this character of this manager? Like, because he's got to be the. This is this is your your shot for best actor award right here. This is the main character. He's got to run around and do stuff, and mm-hmm. oh, he's all over the place. You have a lot of fun with it. And I think, but I think if you're gonna, well, a challenge to find some some uh, good news is. Uh, I mean, here's a chance to have a good news statement that is uh, surprising. That that seems like it should be wrong on the surface, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I like that. I don't know what that looks like yet, but something that like you say, you go, what? <laughs> like it shouldn't be a hallmark. Good We've news. talked about the A B D before, you know, uh, that you do A B and everybody expects C and you go to D. Uh, maybe you're going to mention them, Matt. Uh, but but the high women. Uh, the Brandy Carlisle led supergroup is out and I love their uh, the single off of the album is redesigning women and I love one of the lines that says uh, working hard to look good till we die uh, and the way that it like comes out is like it's a, it's a classic ABD right like uh, it's like it's all horrible. like the melody is there and then it's just this flat like till we die uh, kind of thing that's <laughs> unexpected and catches you, uh, which could be that same sort of like striking, engaging thing, uh, striking thing that becomes engaging. But the good news is that all of your wealth is going to fail. Um, yeah. And then your job is to convince people that's that's good news. I have two pieces of, of business on Sarah for Iowa. Uh, number one, dear Sarah for Iowa, I want to uh, tell you that I recently listened to that episode of the podcast and deeply apologize for the audio quality of it. It was all my fault. Uh, most of the time, the audio quality issues are Matt's fault. Uh, but these were 100,000% my fault. You should come back on and we should do an episode where people can listen to the conversation without wanting to destroy whatever device they're listening to. Uh, and, and number two, inspired by Sarah for Iowa that week, uh, I was in a narrative congregation and, uh, I kind of did a scripture. Not like I, there's a performative. I, I didn't just read the story. I was going to memorize it and tell it, but I decided that it was parable. Uh, it was prodigal son. Uh, so I had the congregation tell me the story. What? And it worked pretty good. How did you do that? Well, it's so familiar, right? I was like, oh, we all know this, so I don't need to read it. Why Why should I waste my time reading it? Why don't you tell me? Uh, and then I, I did walk around the church with the, the microphone and made people tell me. I knew the story well enough to like keep it in between the white lines. But Well done. Well done. I like that. Very cool. Because then I got to play with, because I did the Girardian flip with it, right, where it's about... It's this unexpected thing of what I find most striking about Prodigal Son is that the Prodigal Son says, you never gave me and my friends even one goat. But if you do the math and think through it, they're all his goats. Uh, and so he's, that's the ridiculous part. So I get to hit all the notes that everybody knows. And it was all a big setup for me to be like, hey, here's this other way to look at it. Um, and I think it, I think it provided enough contrast to make it jarring and impactful. Nice. But... There you go. Cool, cool. Well done. Yeah, her. Uh, yeah, she kind of. It was a challenge to me uh, to start memorizing the text again. So I've been doing that the last few weeks. Oh, back on Sarah for Iowa having an impact on our preaching. Look at that. If she has such an impact on our podcast and preaching, imagine the kind of impact she could have for her constituents. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> Well, 
what are we listening to this week? Oh, Matt, there's such good stuff to listen to here. Uh, speaking of the high women, who you should check out, uh, I'm going to go with Loose Change uh, off oh, of the oh, album, nice. uh, which, which gets, it's a good song that gets into, uh, you know, worthlessness of, uh, and money and all that kind of stuff. It's good. It's a good one. Uh, then Matt, summer is over, is what uh, what Jeremiah said, or the Lord said through Jeremiah. Uh, but that's also what Dusty Springfield said one time. Summer is over, uh, classic, classic. You gotta listen to. Uh, you may have noticed uh, that in the Jeremiah, God is not there. The Lord is not in Zion. Her King is not in her. Uh, I really thought about. Well, oof, I thought about going Since You've Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson, but I decided instead to go Gone gone by Charlie MCX and Christine and the Queens, who've been dominating Ooh. the playlist lately. Um, yeah. Don't search me in here. I'm already gone, baby. And finally, uh, it just struck me as you were reading the story to me, Matt, uh, because you've already memorized it, that Jesus said to the disciples, uh, what I heard you say was, Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich girl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I'm not going Holland Oats. I love the Lake Street Dive cover of Rich Girl. Uh, <laughs> rich Girl. Nice. nice. Well done. Um, yeah, I am. Uh, <laughs> the High Women album it was like Spotify was like, oh, there's a new album from that you might like. So I put it on. <laughs> I love the, uh, I especially love the opening track because it is, uh, I don't know if you know the Highwaymen uh, with Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson. And they have a song, The, High, the Highwaymen. And this is the same, like, it's like the same tune and they just rewrote the song. Uh, but they did something very different with it. Like, oh my gosh, I was like, it was, it was I was kind of got really excited listening to it. I was like, this is really cool. It's like a, it's like a cover, but it's a re thinking of it went some very different directions so again almost like there's an a AB whole trend of female team. artists um doing some stuff to uh i stumbled upon we've had her on the podcast or, or talked about her on the podcast before um uh patterson um oh my gosh why can't i she was in paper birds um virginia patterson's granddaughter um hmm? yeah Emmy Patterson? I don't know. Megan will look it up for us. Megan's acting like a <laughs> like a producer on a big time podcast. Uh, but she did a whole concept album where she took songs about male artists that were about they were kind of like breakup songs about a girl, wrote the girl's side of the story basically <laughs> for each one, and so they correspond and stuff. So check that out on Spotify if um, if I can ever figure out who uh, who that was who did that, you know. That's Esme, boom, Esme Patterson. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. check her yeah. out on Spotify. That album, yeah. that concept album, yeah. is up. Cool, cool. Well, the the High Women song uh, that I'm gonna throw on there is "Crowded Table." Mm. I've got this table theme uh, this fall at St. Mark's, and it's been going well so far. But I like this line: "I want a house uh, with a crowded table," and I think that's what the this manager is after. He's trying to protect himself, right? He's not doing it out of. Uh, uh, what is the word? Um, he's not being selfless. <laughs> he's trying to take care of himself, but he's he needs a he needs a crowded table. He needs a table to go to uh, when he loses his job. Uh, so a crowded table, the high women. Uh, 
Uh, when I saw that he was squandering his property, he was wasting uh, his property. I don't know why every time I see the word wasting, I get uh, that Dave Matthews song in my head. Wasting time. <laughs> stay. It's actually called stay uh, in parentheses, wasting time. Uh, I think from before these crowded streets, maybe. I don't know. Dave Matthews, man. Uh, wasting time. And then uh, you cannot serve God and mammon. So Bob Dylan's you got to serve somebody. Just a classic. Uh Bob Dylan's Born Again phase, uh, but this was a good song from that phase. Gotta serve somebody, Bob Dylan. Sweet. Matt, I hear you're uh, hitting the concert venues. I'm hitting the concert venues. I'm going to the the Mayan here in Los Angeles uh, tomorrow night, named after my daughter, uh, and I don't know anything about it. And the B. My B. The Prophets of Rage uh, are playing. They're uh, our super group, I learned. <laughs> I, I heard they were, like, I think I knew who they were, and then I put them on to listen to some music. Uh, and Chuck D was uh, dropping some bars, so I was like, oh, this, this could be fun. So uh, I'm going to go with Pastor Steve Jerby. I'll report back next week and tell you how the Prophets of Rage are. Well, Matt, it's been, uh, it's been good. Uh, it's been real. Real vinyl.